Welcome to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more info about Freedom Church, visit hellofreedomchurch.com. Well, good morning once again to everybody. It is great seeing everybody today. I'd like to give out a special welcome to some missionaries we have with us today. Luke and Bethany's store. And the neat thing about it is Bethany is our niece. And so we got family with us. So Luke and Bethany, would you just stand? And Bethany must have stepped out. And thank you, uh, missionaries to the land of Africa and their children. And, and anyway, we support them uh, monthly. And so it's really a privilege to be able to do so. So we'd like to thank you. It's so great having you. If you'd like to talk with them, I know, I know these guys well, and they'd love just to converse with you. So I'm sure they'll be around to be able to do that. Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody from Crookston as you're tuning in today. It is so great just uh, having you part of the family and all the team that's there. I love you and all of our online audience. Technology really increases our reach, doesn't it? And so it's fun to be able to, you, don't, you never know. You never know what God's doing out there. I'd like to do something else, and I don't do this oftentimes, but we just talked about Freedom Church being a little over 12 years old. And uh, when we moved here, it was awesome. There were, uh, we had five people in our church. The only problem was that every one of them had the last name of Johnson, okay, which is not... Kind of, well, it's kind of a problem because I knew what their allowance was and it wasn't enough to pay the bills, okay? And that was Mary and I and our three boys. Uh, since then, they've grown up, have families of their own, and none of them live here. Uh, Minneapolis and, and out west, Minot and, and Noonan and beyond, but uh, it's so great having them all present today. It doesn't happen too often, but uh, if you guys know, when you plan a church, it's just not mom and dad, but when you need somebody to play, you know, in the band, all right. Guys, you're playing today. You need somebody handing out something, you know, brochures, you're playing. Uh, you need somebody cleaning up. Guys, that need help, help cleaning up. You need somebody to start a coffee shop. Look to the kids. And so anyway, uh, much what the Lord has done has not been just my wife and I, but it's been uh, our boys that have been connect, committed to what God called mom and dad to. And so I want you to know I'm very proud of you boys and just your families and all. And so thank you for being here today. We get scattered, you know, we don't get to be together that much. So anyway, uh, thank you. Thank you. We're going through a series of sermons entitled Storyteller. In so doing, we're looking at the parables of Jesus. Jesus told parables because he said this. He said, you're going to keep on hearing but not really perceive. You're going to keep on seeing but not, never really able to fathom. So what I want to do, I'm going to tell you some parables and these parables are stories that take common experiences or objects of life. And it says, I'll take these common experiences and I'll make a point out of it. And that way you can be able to not only hear, but you'll be able to really understand, perceive, and grow and learn by it. And so that's what we've been doing this summer. And he used a really, really short parable in Luke chapter 7. This is now the 10th parable we've looked at. There's almost 40 of them in all toll. Uh, we won't hit all of them, but we'll hit 13 of them. We've got a couple of weeks left. But in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it says this, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, who's him? It was Jesus. One of the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they invited him to dine with him, and so Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A Pharisee, we talk about often about that, who was a Pharisee? A Pharisee was an expert in the Old Testament law. Pharisees were staunch, they were rigid, they were legalists to the core and to the point. They were prideful and they were arrogant. And Jesus often rebuked the Pharisees for their cold heart to people. 
And so this person, this Pharisee, comes to Jesus, invites him, invites him to his home. In verse 40, we learn that the name of this Pharisee's name was Simon. And so he invites him to his home. That may seem unimportant now, but later in the story, this invitation, I feel, carries great significance. Verse 37, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. This lady, as, as they're having this meal, this Pharisee invites Jesus. This house is probably filled with people. And in walks this lady. This lady is not known for her hospitality. She's not known for her gentleness. This lady is known for one thing, and that's her reputation. In this community, that's all she's known for is her reputation. In fact, most biblical scholars uh, point to this fact, uh, believe that, 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 that her reputation was that of a prostitute. She's not known for any, any admirable quality or trait. She's known for this one thing, and that's her reputation. And she hears that Jesus is at the house of the Pharisee. And she knows, like, you don't get any further uh, ends of the continuum than a Pharisee and a woman of ill repute. I mean, you don't get any further at the opposite ends of the extreme. One self-righteous legalist and a person that's engaged, you know, in the behavior that she was. I mean, you don't get any farther than that. And the Pharisee that intentionally, willfully would distance himself from anybody like that. Don't taint me with your reputation. Don't come near me because of your sin. And so this woman, this woman knowing that, knowing that I will not be welcome at this place, but there's something in her that is so, so drawing. So she, she, she goes to the house of the Pharisee, to the house of the Pharisees, knowing she'll not be welcomed, knowing that probably in spite of lots of ridicule and rejection, but she, she, she looks past all that. She enters the house uninvited and brings with her an alabaster, which is this fine translucent stone that's been carved into a vial in which there's poured perfume. In verse 38, and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she's crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. As I was thinking about this, like, what a, what a conflict of worlds, right? Again, th this woman and this Pharisee. And yet she, she, in spite of the certain ridicule and rejection, goes to this home with no concern, really, of her reputation. She enters the home of this religious legalist, lets down her hair, which in those days was, was very uh, inappropriate to let your down your, for a woman to let down her hair in public, but she lets down her hair. Her reputation is one of disgrace and dishonor. But she wants one thing. I got to be near Jesus. I just have to be near to Jesus. And up to this point, I think it's interesting that there's no record of Jesus addressing this lady. The text doesn't give us any clue that Jesus had acknowledged her. And yet as she comes into his presence, she falls at his feet and she begins to weep. And she begins to cry. Not like a tear or two but like the crying that's almost uncontrollable deep from within your belly that you just cry and you weep, so much so that her tears drench the feet of Jesus. And she takes 
lets down her hair, and with her tears, she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, and with her tears, not a tear or two, but with her tears, and then takes that alabaster vial of perfume and pours it on his feet and begins to to wash his feet. Now, Now, Jesus is coming. He's not wearing, like, he's not wearing boots, right? He's not wearing, uh, he's not wearing, you know, Nike tennis shoes or whatever. He's wearing sandals, and the roads are dusty and dirty. So when he comes in here, the feet of Jesus, they're dirty. And she begins to wash his feet with her hair. And as she does, something begins to take place in her. And the tears are not one of sorrow, but the tears begin to become tears of healing. At that moment, the guilt and condemnation of her past subsides and and the pain and the hurt begins to ebb away and healing begins to come because there's something so powerful about, about simply, as this lady demonstrates with her lifestyle, there's something so powerful about simply being with Jesus. And verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, who did he say it to? So when the Pharisee saw what had happened, he said to himself, under his breath, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him and that she is a sinner. Obviously, Simon, the Pharisee, does does not know Jesus at all. He thinks he's this religious, incredibly religious individual that knows the way of spirit and knows this like religion and has such an adequate grasp in this whole thing, but obviously has no idea who Jesus is. Because when he comes into this room and he watches this scene that's playing out in front of him with this lady of ill repute coming and kneeling before Jesus and crying, weeping, pouring the the alabaster vial perfume, what what his response is is that if Jesus really knew who this woman was, he he would reject her just as we do. He would shun her. He would understand the disgrace it is to be able to engage with a conversation with his lady. He would get all this, but all he can see is his perspective. And so so obviously, there's no other way to look at this. I certainly cannot be wrong. I am absolutely right. There's no way, the only way we can look at this this situation is Jesus obviously doesn't understand who this woman is. He is not a prophet like he says he is. Imagine, in that moment, he reveals such incredible pride and arrogance There's one way of looking at this situation, and that is this. Jesus, you're wrong. It could not be me. It would never be me that would be wrong. Jesus, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're not a prophet as you said that you were. I mean, how else could it be? There's no other way of looking at, there's no other way of looking at this scenario than that. And I I know when we read the stories of the Pharisees, we like to distance ourselves and say we would never be in that camp, right? Well, I mean, if we lived in those days, that would never be us. And if I was to be completely honest, unfortunately, as I begin to read through Scripture more and more, there are times I'm like, ah, no, I don't want to read that because I find myself identifying with them in different areas. No, this is the way it is. I don't see any other perspective. This is how it's got to be. Verse 40 says, and Jesus answered, Simon says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, well, then say it, teacher. And I love this point. There's no way, there's no way that Jesus could be a prophet. But Simon had not said anything out loud to anybody. It says he said to himself, this couldn't be a prophet. And Jesus says, Simon, I got something I want to tell you. 
And so prophet Jesus speaks to the person that says that you couldn't be a prophet because he knows exactly what's, exactly what's on the mind of Simon. He reads Simon's mind like a book. He goes, I know exactly what you're thinking, Simon. You don't have to say a word. He didn't, Simon didn't speak audibly, so I know what you're thinking. And then he tells him a two-verse parable. And he says this, a money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other owed 50. A denarii was this, it was a unit of money measurement, like a dollar, a denarii. And a denarii was worth one day's wages for a laborer. And so one, one man owed 500 days of wages, or nearly a year and a half of wages. And the other man owed 50 days of wages, or not quite two months of wages. What Jesus is saying, 500 denarii, that's a year and a half of wages. Over here is 50. Yeah, that's not as much. But the point being, neither one of them could pay it. The person that owed 500 denarii could not pay it. The guy that owed 50 was way too much. He couldn't pay it back either. And verse 42 says, And when they were unable to repay, the money lender graciously, graciously, I love that word, forgave them both. And Jesus says, so which of them will love him more? Man. I mean, like these Pharisees are always trying to peg Jesus. They're always trying to like get him in a corner and begin to like undo him to where he looks foolish or begin to like to, 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 to just undermine his, his, you know, his thoughts and all this. And yet Jesus says this incredible way. So he tells a story. There's a money lender. One owes him 500 denarii. Another owes him 50. He, they're unable to pay. And so he graciously forgives them both. And so he looks to Simon. Simon, so tell me who loves him more? Simon answered and said, I love this, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. I suppose, I would imagine, I'm, I'm thinking, I want to make sure I'm right here, but I suppose it's the one who owed him more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. You are absolutely accurate in your analysis. And as I look at this, this parable, and then it wraps up with a few other verses, but I look at this parable like, what is going on here? What's Jesus doing here? And can I tell you, this is what's happening. Jesus is, 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 is prioritizing the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, this, this is really what it's all about, okay? Like, which one of them, the guy that forgave five, that had his debts forgiven, 500 debts, or the guy 50, like, which one of them loved him more? The focus, Jesus says, I want to really take this moment to prioritize your love, the love that you have. And as I thought about it, I thought Jesus could have talked about biblical knowledge. Who had more biblical knowledge, most likely the Pharisee or the lady? The Pharisee. Who had higher education? This, this was a lawyer. This was a Pharisee, an expert in, in the Old Testament law. He had definitely, especially as being a woman in those days, he definitely had way more education than what the lady did. How about for reputation? This man was probably widely accepted in his, in his religious circles, right? Everybody, they liked him because they knew that this guy is sharp, he's smart. I mean, he's a legalist and all those things, but, but like he's got so much going for him. And this, ah, yeah, oh, yeah, that lady. So, so who had the greater reputation? Well, we know who that was. How about for spiritual sacrifice? 
Certainly the Pharisee had given more, had given countless hours and hours and hours in religious study. Who had more religious experience? It's doubtful that this lady had more spiritual religious experience than the Pharisee, but Jesus doesn't talk about knowledge. He doesn't talk about education. He doesn't talk about spiritual history. He doesn't talk about sacrifice or all these things. He talks about one thing. He says, what I want to focus on, Simon, I want to talk about your love. He focuses on love. Simon, this moneylender, had two people. Which one loved him more? What Jesus is saying in this parable is, Simon, you are a religious leader. And you may have the education, you may have the experience, you may have the knowledge, you may have all of these wonderful things. There's nothing wrong with knowledge and experience and, and these things. That's wonderful. But can I just tell you something he's saying to Simon? Let me share with you like the kingdom of God and how this works. And he says this, you were just outloved. This woman just outloved you. I know you're standing here and puffed up in pride and arrogance, but this woman just schooled you in common vernacular. You just got schooled by this, by this lady. That's what happened. And yet, Simon, in the area that matters most, that area of love, you've missed it, Simon. Now think about as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest is what? Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm simply a noisy gong, I'm making a lot of noise, I'm a talking head, but that's all it is. I'm just merely a talking head. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I know all mysteries, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as I can move mountains, I mean, talk about spiritual, talk about incredible, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. If I give everything that I own, if I sell my house, if I sell my vehicles, if I empty my IRAs, if I, if I completely deplete my financial portfolio and completely sell everything, give it all away, and I give it to the poor, I even go to the point where I am a martyr. I give my body to be burned. But if I don't have love, it profits me zilch. Can you imagine, guys, someone that gives it all away and it profits them nothing? Nothing. And the whole purpose of this two-verse parable is very simple. It's this. It's to instruct in the priority of love. Our relationship with the Lord is not based on our intellectual ability. It's not based on our educational attainments. Our relationship with the Lord is not based on our past religious experience. Those are wonderful things, and I, I hold them dear. But it says this one thing. Is it says, do you love me? Do you love me? And I love this next verse in 44. And turning towards the woman, he then spoke to Simon. He didn't turn to Simon and speak to Simon. He didn't turn to the woman and speak to the woman. But turning to the woman... He says, Simon, I got something I want to tell you. Turning to the woman, he spoke to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. What's happening here is Jesus is just uncorking a little bit <laughs> with the religious people. What's happening here is Jesus is really ticked off at how this man has been treating this lady. I don't see a lot of anger directed towards sinners, 
people that are far from God, but I do see Jesus different times correcting sternly and strongly people that think that are puffed up with pride and arrogance. And that's what's happening in this moment. What he's saying is there. It was customary that if you invited somebody to your house, and Jesus had been invited to this house, that when you came in, because of the sandals and the dirt on your feet, that, that, that it was customary that you would sit down and the guest, you would wash that person's feet. Jesus goes to the home of the Pharisee, and that doesn't happen. And Jesus says, Simon, you invited me to your home. It was your idea for me to come here. Yet you didn't offer me water for for my feet to even wash my feet. But this lady has washed my feet, not with water drawn from a well, but with water from her own tear ducts and used her hair as a rag to wipe them up. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but she, since the time she came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. It was customary. You see this in other cultures today with the the kisses on on the sides of the cheeks, which was very customary in Jesus' day. Jesus says to Simon, Simon, you invited me to your home. Remember, you invited me. And yet you didn't greet me with a kiss to my cheek. But this lady has, has greeted me not with a kiss to my cheek, but she has not stopped kissing my feet. And washing them with her tears. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, Jesus says, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. We're going to take a moment just to talk about this, all right? But she, or the one who is forgiven little, loves little. This man is being taken to task by Jesus. And Jesus just placed this Pharisee, this prideful, arrogant, educated, religious, legalistic man in his place. And all of us, if you're watching this on a movie, we would all be going, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And one of the reasons that I love Jesus so much is because he violates the status quo in favor of the one who is hurting. He violates the status quo in favor of the one who has been despised. That's what Jesus does. That's my Jesus. As I think about it, I think a couple things that are so important to understand. Romans 3.23 says, All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Raise your hand if you've sinned. If you didn't raise your hand, you just did because you just lied, okay? <laughs> you just lied, okay? <laughs> so let's, let's be honest. All of us have sinned, okay? All of us. It doesn't matter if you're Billy Graham. It doesn't matter if you're Mother Teresa. I'm thinking of spiritual people that we hold high. It doesn't matter if you're the Pope. Every person that's been born except for Jesus, all of us have sinned, which means all of us, all of us, every one of us falls short of God's glory, all of us. Romans 6.23 says, And the wages, what we deserve for that sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3.6, and as we know, says, Because God so loved the world that through his Son, his only begotten Son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have ever, everlasting or eternal life. And somehow for us, The deception of sin is that we quantify sin. Like, that's a really big one, but mine is a really little one. And you've heard me share this before, but let me just share it again. It's like if I had a great big plate glass window here. A great big plate glass window. 
And I can stand back with my 22 rifle and shoot just a very minute bullet through that piece of plate glass window and I will shatter it. Or I can take a cinder block and go and I can hit that window and shatter it. The point is not the size of the projectile. The point is the window, I just broke the window. And what happens so often as Christians, we prior quantify or say, like, well, that's a really big one. That's the cinder block of them all. And, but mine, I mean, come on, like mine, they're so little. I mean, everybody struggles a little bit. So like, what's really the big deal, right? I mean, come on. I mean, like, like yeah, I'm just, hey, all of us have sinned and all of us have broke the glass. All of us come short of God's glory. All of us. And so Jesus says, who has forgiven little, loves little? And so let me ask a couple of questions. Who determines the standard of forgiveness? Jesus does. Jesus says to the, to the murderer, to the rapist, to, to the most evil, wicked sins we could think, the solution will be found in one place. It will be found in that thing in the cross. That's the standard of forgiveness. The, the standard for the most heinous of all sinners or criminals is going to be found in that place. It's going to be found in the cross. And then he said, but, but, but who, determines, who determines the standard of forgiveness for the little white lie? I mean, it's just it's so small, right? It's so little. I mean, like, why does it really, like, like isn't it a sliding scale of forgiveness? We can just move that thing up. Like, okay, well, I don't need a whole lot of forgiveness. You know what, you know what the standard is for our fib? You know what the standard of forgiveness for our envy, our lust? for our, our, our outrages of anger, our words of gossip. Do you know what the standard of forgiveness is? It's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So who determines the quantity of our forgiveness? The standard of forgiveness, God says, you know who, deserves, who, who determines that? God says, you've all sinned. We determine that. And this lady the prostitute says, I need lots of forgiveness. And in tears, in humility, she falls at Jesus' feet. Forgive me, forgive me. And the Pharisee says this, yeah, I don't really need a lot. I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I just asked myself some questions. Had this lady sinned? Yes. Was she aware that she had sinned? Most definitely. Did she acknowledge her need of forgiveness? Yes. She loved much because she had been forgiven much. Had Simon the Pharisee sinned? Yes, most definitely. Was he aware that he had sinned? I mean, not really. I mean, maybe a little bit. I mean, I probably struggled a little with this, or you hear where I'm going? Maybe a little bit. Did he acknowledge his need of forgiveness? Not a chance. He loved little because his eyes, in his eyes, he didn't need it. And that, what I believe, my friend, is a deceitfulness of sin and pride. I don't need a lot of forgiveness. I need just a little bit. Just a little bit. And so, so the deep truth of this parable is this. If you want to grow in your love with the Lord, ask him to reveal to you your heart. If you want to grow in your love for the Lord, ask him to break your heart, not over the sins of others, but first over your own sins. God, break my heart over my sins. I know I've used this illustration before, but it's, it's the best I got. It's like swimming from New York to London, 3,465 miles. Anybody up for it? I mean, I, I, can, I can tread water. I can swim. I might get out like a, I don't know if I could do a mile. I don't know, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But after that, 
I'm going to be not doing real well. Maybe you're an endurance swimmer and you can get out 10 miles or 12 miles. Uh, I looked this up. Obviously, it's true because... That's right. I found it on the Internet. And so <laughs> the longest open ocean water swim has been determined to be 67 miles. Now, there's more open water swims than rivers because they've been swimming down water with the stream. But in the ocean, the longest swim is 67 miles. Imagine as you're swimming and this person that swam 67 miles goes by you, by you with pride like, man, hang on, buddy. I bet you wish you were me. Can I tell you something? If you get out to 67 miles and go down, you still have 3,398 miles yet to go. You're not even close. You have missed it so far. There's no reason for you to like swim with, with, with pride and arrogance because you have missed it so bad. And when it comes to like, like attaining to the standard of God, you may have been going to church for I don't know how long. Maybe you can memorize the entire book of Revelation. That's awesome. That's awesome. But that doesn't make us any better than any person that has never really accepted the Lord before. Do you know what I'm saying? We are no better. And our, our love for the Lord is dependent, is proportionate to the amount of forgiveness that we understand that we need. God, I need you today because in myself, my heart is desperately sick, as Jeremiah says. God, I need you so bad. And when you fall in love with Jesus Christ, Result, or, or let me say that the thing that precedes that is an understanding of our brokenness before God and the absolute you know, need, dire need that we have of Jesus. And so what my prayer is today as a church, God, as a church, as individuals, if you don't know Jesus, you can know him today. Look how we responded to this lady. You can know that loving Father, but if you say, I do know Jesus, then my prayer is this, God, would you show to us the brokenness of our own life and of our heart? God, would you remove pride from us? May we never look at another person the same way apart from your grace. Because that's what enabled this Pharisee to look at her and to despise and reject. Because I don't, she's really bad. I'm not that bad. And Jesus said, Simon, you're completely deceived. The pathway to Phariseeism is lined with comparisons with other people rather than comparing ourselves to Jesus. Comparing ourselves with Jesus. Luke 7, 48. Jordan and the band, if you guys want to come, that'd be great. We'll wrap it up here. Then Jesus said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who are reclining at the table with him begin to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I love this story. Go in peace. Your life has been so racked with discord and just angst and pain. And I mean, imagine where she was at. And he says, what I want you to do, my daughter, go in peace. No more guilt. No more condemnation. You're free from your past. You're free from your reputation. What I want you to do is go in peace. All of us long for freedom. Freedom from guilt or condemnations or stresses or pressures or hurts or, or the things of our past. I don't know, but there's this thing that, that we long for, for, is this thing of freedom. And that happens when we fall at the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, today. Thank you, Father, so much, God. 
I want to take a moment just to pray today, and, and as well, people that are watching in Crookston or maybe online, I want you just to hang with us for just a moment here today. I don't, I don't know where you're at, but I, I have really, really good news today as we look at this parable of the money lender, and that is that Jesus, he loves you in spite of where you are or where you've come from. He loves you, and his desire is to draw you close to himself. And if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe today you say, you know, I'm I'm in a place. I know I need to change, and I want to get to that place. I would encourage you just as, as you come to the Lord, you just open your heart and just invite him in today, wherever you are, and he'll meet you at that point. He'll meet you at that point today. Again, maybe here or Crookston, wherever it may be. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you and we bless you. Lord, we open up our heart to receive from you today. Lord, would you show to us the condition of our heart? Lord, may we see, Lord, our our own selves, Lord. Forgive us for comparison, comparing to other people. Forgive us for our pride and our own arrogance. Lord, help us to look at people the way you see them, Lord, and the way that you embrace them today, God. We love you. Thank you so much today. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We love you today. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay connected with us, visit us on our website or check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Hello Freedom Church. Have a great week.